0: Hi guys, I'm Becca Otis from Five Lines Pottery, and I'm located in Van.
1: And I'm Ryan Durbin from RD Ceramics, located in Highland Heights, Kentucky.
0: And welcome to Wheel Talk.
1: All right, we're rolling. We're live. All right. Wonderful. I am here solo today. Becca is taking the day off and I'm chatting with Kurt
2: Man, she didn't Ceramics. want to talk to me. I'm going to have to give her some crap about that.
1: Yeah, I know. And you'll probably hear Autumn around. She's she's messing around down here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think this is your third time on here, but if people don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro and then we'll get into what we're talking about today? Uh, well, thanks for having me
2: on. My name is Kurt Hammerly. I have a, a studio a practice called Hammerly Ceramics, and I'm outside of Denver, Colorado, and I make pottery, use um, a lot of digital fabrication techniques and equipment, 3D printers, CNC mills, that sort of thing. Um, And I like to play with glazes.
1: Sweet. Yeah, I think the first time you were on, I can't remember the episode number. Somebody could probably dig it up, but I think it was like 50-something. So it was probably in about year one of us talking. We we hit our four-year tomorrow. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, I don't remember the first one. I remember the second
1: one, but yeah, I think I know the, f-
2: that the first, first
1: one I think was where you were like showing the exclusive Hammerley ceramics. I think it was a twenty twenty design and you had like gold wow. on the bottom or something like that. Oh, I gonna say it was twenty twenty.
2: Yeah, we never even launched that. It was never up to par. So like it was yeah, it was a matte black. I still have that glaze, but it was never perfect enough. And it, it was matte, so it didn't work well with the gold luster. So we never even launched it. But yeah, that was going to be our big, like, uh, anniversary glaze.
1: That's funny. Oh, okay. Do you, so you don't use the matte black at all? Was it the matte that didn't work or the gold that didn't work?
2: It was the gold on the matte. And then at the time I was still using really, really cheap 3d printers. And that matte black was so thin that it showed off all of the imperfections. Mm. Um, so I just never went forward with it, but man, um, the quality of my molds has gone up significantly since then. So um, I've been messing around with that matte black again.
1: Sweet. Okay. So we'll see some <laughs> matte black in the future at some point. Time Times have changed. Damn. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when you go to so many glaze options, I feel like there's, you know, I feel like there hasn't been ones you haven't touched. But, I mean, obviously there's an endless number. But I feel like you're always experimenting. So
2: I feel like most of the categories... I've played with at least a little bit. I remember having Matt Katz out and we were having lunch and I was like, So like, is there anything really, really exciting and new that you're working on? And he was like, dude, there's nothing like that new out there. Like it's all kind of been figured out. There's like variations and permutations of everything. But there's not like no one's gonna come out with like some brand new crazy glaze that no one's ever seen before. It just it doesn't work that
1: way. Yeah. Is it is it also like material availability and things like that, where people have to shift and adjust based on how expensive things are, or I think that's part of it. But I think when it actually boils down to it,
2: if you like, if you look at different ingredients, like EPK versus whiting versus Custer feldspar, when you actually boil down to what is in those ingredients, it's only a small handful of chemicals. So like we're Mm -hmm. using different kind like we use dolomite and we use talc, but, but Dolomite has magnesium and so does talc. So it's kind of they're both magnesium adders, but they have different properties. But like there's there's nothing anyone's going to come out with. It's like, oh, my God, a new brand new. It's a brand new crazy thing that's never been seen on Earth before. I just don't (laughs) I don't think I I when he told me that I was like, you're yeah. From what I know, even I know way less than he does. But I was like, you're yeah, that sounds right. So that he's doing, he was doing at the time when I had lunch with him, he's doing hundreds of tests of copper reds in his kiln, mm-hmm. just like got every single copper red recipe you could find on the face of the planet and tested it. And I'm like, God, that's wild. But, but yeah, there, there are endless amount of glazes, but there's just not, yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to be too. There's nothing surprising.
1: groundbreaking. Yeah. It'd be cool if there was. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll, we'll hold out hope maybe someday. Okay. So the main reason I was asking you to join us was talking about kind of like the process of growing and also like team management. Because you've kind of had some shifts. Of, I mean, we talked three years ago. I don't know what your team looked like then. Do you remember what it looked we, like in 2020? When we talked last time,
2: it was just me and Greg. Just you and Greg. Okay. Just me and my brother um, working out of the studio. And then since then, very soon after that, um, when my when my wife found out she's pregnant and my son was born, we jumped up to two more people. And then um, when the Seth Rogen gig came along, we jumped up two more from there. And then so it was um, five employees and myself at the peak. And now we're back down to three. It's three. me. Greg and Haley.
1: Now. Okay. So how long was that whole period from just Greg as like a couple of years? So yeah, when I, when
2: I left my full-time job at the university, I hired Greg and we were working shoulder to shoulder in my tiny basement studio and then got into the, the studio that we're in now. And we were in there for probably eight months before we hired two more people. So, yeah, Greg and I worked together for a little over a year, just the two of us, then jumped up to um, four total employees, worked for another year after that, and then jumped up to six, worked for a year after that. And then just last month, I had to let go of three people and we're back down to. So, yeah, there's been like year long stints where it was just me for a couple years, then me and Greg for a year, then four of us for a year and six of us for a year and now back down to
1: three. Okay. So when you're going through thinking about what you how you want to evolve and grow and like when to bring people on, what kind of parameters or what what's kind of top of mind? What are you considering? So
2: um, when I brought Greg on, it was just uh, I'd quit my job. Everything was going really well. Um, I won't get into the details of it, but Greg was involved in something that made him want to leave his job. Um, He was teaching middle school at the time, and he came to me and he was like, we've always talked about starting a business, and now you have this business, I don't think I can teach anymore, um, and uh, could we work together? And I was like, oh, jeez, he's like, I don't need full time, we can figure it out, because I was terrified, I was like, just freshly quit my job, trying to figure out everything for myself. And I was like, I don't know how to be a boss, and I don't know if I want to work with my brother and all of these things. But uh, I decided to go for it, and it it worked. It um, increased productivity. He was doing some things that I um, didn't have a lot of skills with. He does all the infrastructure work. He helped with website stuff. Um, And then we were in the new studio, standing across the table from each other, cleaning greenware. So we're sitting there with um, stuff that comes out of molds, these porcelain greenware pieces, and we're cleaning them up with sponge and exacto knives. And he just looks at me and he's like, this isn't worth your time anymore. And he was right at the time. We were selling absolutely everything that we made. And um, it just, I wanted more time to do development. I wanted more time to do new designs. I wanted more time to do glazes. And so me sitting there for however many hours a week, just sponging off pieces of greenware was just, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. And then Tracy came in and said she was pregnant and was like, all right, well, I can't keep working these, like, 80, 100-hour weeks, so we might as well, or we better, like, find some some more help. So I made the decision at that point to bring two people in, and um, their main purview was going to be to do casting two days a week and then do um, cleaning greenware the rest of the time. And uh, it, it just was a much better system to have two people there on casting days just to, casting days for us at the time especially were like feast or famine for work like you get all the molds out on the table as fast as you possibly can fill them then sit around then pour them out then sit around then trim the tops off and sit around so it was just something that worked better with two people um and then when um when seth came to me and um wanted some production of his gloopy ashtrays uh that was something that i was like well um the numbers that they're asking for are would basically meet our capacity now, and I would never get any of my own work done. So right. then hiring two more people to come in, cast and clean greenware for the Seth pieces, so then we still had time to concurrently make my work, um, and it just scaled up to the point where, um, yeah, we were making, um, we, we made 7,000 pieces total last year. Of the it's Seth pieces, is that what you mean? um Total pieces, my work plus Seth's, um, all oh, together, wow. seven thousand pieces in um, two thousand twenty-two.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, how did the? How were you thinking about? How are you balancing the? Were you concerned about the pr- the price of like how much am I paying them? What are they doing versus just? I need to pay somebody reasonable to get this load off of me, and it's going to financially make sense. Or did you yeah, have to think through it? I mean, that?
2: Uh, I'm going to be honest, I've been very lucky that all of this um, it hasn't gone perfectly, obviously, because we're in the situation now where we had to scale back. but um, it's gone well enough that the decisions that I made, I didn't overshoot. I didn't hire way too many people. There was definitely times with six of us where there was nothing for people to do Um, when um, orders from houseplant weren't coming in and various other things like um, there were times when I was like, holy shit, I have to keep these five people busy and myself. Mm -hmm. And I just it was I still glaze every single piece that um, of my work that leaves the door. I guess I also glazed every single houseplant ashtray that left the door. So I glazed seven thousand pieces last year, and I knew from the start that bringing in other people was going to mean that my job would boil down to a lot of glazing.
1: Right? Yeah, you're a big bottleneck there.
2: <laughs> it, yeah, and it was hard to let it go. The glazing the gloopy ashtrays was a fucking nightmare. It was just. It was outrageous how um, how difficult it was to stay consistent and just how tricky it was to get this gloop glaze to stick to the underglaze. Like I glazed standing right in front of the kiln and it had to be dip it, pour the inside, pour it out, peel this piece of tape off and put it in the kiln before it dried. Because as soon as it dries, it just starts falling off. Mm -hmm. And if I closed the door of the kiln too hard, it would start falling off. So it was nothing uh, that I could get other people to do very effectively. And that's not
1: inefficiently.
2: Yeah, not saying that I have any ability to do anything that no one else does. But um, as hourly employees, I didn't want to put this burden on them to have to do stuff that is that kind of high risk, high reward.
1: Yeah. Or not high risk, high reward, but just like uh, stressful the chance, yeah, really and the chance of seconds jobs. and issues would probably greatly yeah. increase. and then you're like, is this gonna be acceptable, or am I just you
2: know, yep, and yeah, we uh, we went through an outrageous number of seconds on those ashtrays because, and I can't even say seconds, um not, yeah,
1: not I, I up can't the go bar with I what's can't go into details with but numbers you also can't sell that, that item. Right? I mean, exactly. you can't sell that at a discounted price because it's not your exactly. item to sell. So. Exactly. Yeah. So that the whole thing, doing that kind of
2: boutique manufacturing side of the business, while it was temporarily lucrative, it was so stressful it was unimaginable. Um. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so yeah so I was just looking for um, potters in the area that um weren't really up to the point where they could um, make a full living off of their own work. And I wanted to give them um, a place to work. They all have access. I mean, even still, um, I let three of them go last month and um, they still have access to the studio. They can come in, they can make glazes, they can cast, they can use the kiln. Um, so uh, I wanted just some help in the studio and to pay them hourly and to have them um, use the facilities
1: okay did they utilize some of those benefits uh most of them yeah absolutely um, we got spoiled on the blow it's uh
2: <laughs> it's a hell of a.
1: yeah i mean when well, you're firing daily and they have the access to do that yeah,
2: yeah it was ridiculous like uh i'm not i don't mean this is anything against them but yeah they could show up one day and be like i need cone six and i'm like all right we're doing it thursday just put it on the shelf and like i could fire anything that they brought at any firing temperature within a week of them bringing it all the time. We bisque two or three times a week. It was just, uh, yeah, it made it, um, so they could iterate on their work, um, quite quickly.
1: Yeah. So did the, how did the, how did the life balancing work when you started getting staff on? Was that, <laughs> did that even out? Did it, did it do what you sought it out to do? No, not at business? all. I, and it's not, anyone else's fault but
2: my own but I I love what I do and it also um this is really hard and like I I can't imagine a world where I failed because I didn't work hard enough so I just work stupid hard it's not a good thing I'm not trying to glamorize it or anything but yeah we I hired those two first employees after Greg with this idea that it would cut down on my workload and I just kept working, you know. It's weird. Uh, there's been a lot of times along the way, especially having a kid where I feel like I, I miss my old job at the university because it was like I hit 40 hours for the week and I was out. I just took off, didn't even think about my job on the weekends, and um, yeah, with running your own business, running your own art practice, um, you never get to shut it off.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's hard to just cap it and say, this is where that line is. You have to set those, I feel like you have to set those boundaries for yourself and be like, yeah. this is good enough, but I could work harder. Yeah, and because I just a, have this thing in like the back of my head.
2: What... Make, make hay while the sun shines is just something that is just always in my head. Like, what if no one buys stuff in two months and you could have made money now? And ugh. This, is, uh, this is a hard way to make a living.
1: <laughs> right how do you, do you find days that you, do you intentionally take days off or intentionally do things for yourself that are spontaneous or just? Yeah. I I try to get out of the studio,
3: um,
2: during the week. Um, I, um, try to, try to take weekends off. I still end up in the studio for a couple hours on Saturdays a lot, but then I, I, I don't know, having a, Having a kid is exhausting. So being at home on the weekends isn't the most relaxing thing. i think getting used to it, but he's two and a half now, and it's yeah, not trying to complain, but damn, life is busy. <laughs>
1: right. And then is your is your wife back to working uh, the hours and things that she was doing before having the child, no, or finding a balance of something different? She's
2: not um, because she. she She obviously does a lot more um, taking care of him than I do because I work so much. Um, But it kind of just it made more sense with the price of daycare and stuff like that to have her step away from her work for a little while. We're also only having one. And I was like, you you wanted a kid like you should spend as much time with um, with our kid as you can. Um, So she is going to start doing some stuff soon. Um, but yeah, that's the other thing that's been tough having a kid is that, the uh, uh, when I first started and when I left my job at the university, we were in a position where, um, if this didn't go well, her income could, um, carry us for a while if, if this started failing, but now we're in a position where I have a lease And so the rent on the studio is not something that can go away. I have employees that I need to pay and I don't want to just have to get rid of them. So um, between her not working and all of the overhead, um, it's become something where, yeah, the idea of working less is just not it's not something that I can really entertain most of the time. Yeah.
1: So a lot of that a lot of that dependency is on you now. Whereas it might have been on Tracy before when you left.
2: Which I just had a, had a safety net before. Like, um, there was never a time where I wasn't making um, as much or um, where I wasn't making. What am I trying to say? There was never a time when I quit my job that I didn't make as much as my old salary. Like, It's been this has gone very well. Um, I definitely work more than I ever did at that job, but um, there's never been swaths of time where I haven't been able to um, make my like provide. Um, But now it's just more. It's just more than ever between, like I said, the rent of the studio, paying the employees, paying our mortgage, um, all of that stuff. I'm very fortunate and I feel very lucky that I've done all of this without any debt. I don't have um, any kind of business loans or anything like that. It would probably drive me crazy with fear and anxiety. But um, it's still just um, raising that uh, one thing that I'd love to get across of this idea that you bringing up of like scaling up and scaling down and all these things is like raising your overhead is terrifying and it doesn't seem like it at the time. You're kind of like, yeah, I'll take on this lease. It's like twenty two hundred dollars a month. But our energy bill is another $700 a month. And then paying Greg is an amount per month. Paying Haley is an amount per month. And it's like these things can't – I would feel terrible if I was just like, I'm sorry, I can't pay you this month. So those become necessities. And then pretty soon before you know it, you're like, oh, Jesus, we have to make like $20,000 a month every single month or bad things happen. So it was something that I didn't – I definitely have been very fearful of scaling up overhead, but in my head I was like, whatever, it's like $2,000 a month for the studio, it's not a big deal. But then, like, uh, workers' comp insurance is crazy, and taxes are crazy, and it's just like there's all these little nickel and dime things that when you actually sit down in front of your QuickBooks, you're like, what the hell happened? How did I go from working in my basement and making a couple thousand dollars every month and just chilling mm-hmm. I just, like slip cast in my basement and put my feet up on my computer desk and watch movies while I waited for the molds to cast. <laughs> and now I don't sit down all day. It's insane. I, like I'm just working <laughs> constantly. And I'm like, how did how did I do this? And why? Why did I do this? So. So
1: yeah. why do you why do you think? What do you think drives us to to want to grow and keep keep pursuing that?
2: Well, there's a lot of things. There's definitely societal pressure. When you tell people that you run a business, the idea is that as long as the demand is there, you're going to grow. That's just like that is the fundamental understanding that most humans have of a business. Like why wouldn't you grow it? You just hire more people, hire more people. And you're like, you don't, you don't understand, like just
1: hiring, work harder.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, And I've always felt that way. I have no interest in becoming vastly wealthy or building this giant empire where I have 30 employees and we're selling $200,000 worth of pottery every month. I have a very specific goal that hopefully we will get to or we will get to in the next two years because the the ball is already rolling like we bought the property. um, We bought the house that has the land to build the studio to get out of this lease situation. So in the next two years, I'll be building a thousand square foot studio on my property and then we'll get out of the lease and move back to that studio and I'll be scaling back even more from where I am now I have no exact no idea exactly where that will land as far as who I'll be employing at that time, but as soon as that happens, that lease is gone, and hopefully at that point, I can have more time to relax every now and then,
1: yeah, I think there's this like I have this expectation too of like okay, I'm putting in all these hours doing the can you still see me am I good?
2: Yeah, my Siri just decided to pop up for some
1: reason. Okay. Mine did that earlier for for some reason, too. Um, yeah, I'm like, OK, if I, you know, if I double duty it with the day job and the full in the pottery, I'm like, OK, I'll get to a point where I will exert as much energy as I can that I'll have that time to coast. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's counter to what actually happens it's like you keep hustling and keep hustling and that's just your new bar of like what your expectations are it's like okay i'm capable of doing that and it's like at what point is that unhealthy or like how do you stay aware enough to to say like okay this is not good for me or i need to do things for myself or yeah and i'm
2: i've hit this threshold right now where i realized something in the last couple months and um Because things have been going so well for so long. Um, The Seth Rogen stuff was nice because uh, it allowed me to, um, I didn't have to market it. I just had to produce this item, pack it up, and ship it away, and it turned into money. It was a very different business model that didn't require as much of my constant power power, the marketing is very is like the hardest part, in my opinion. And um, it's really hard to scale and it's never anything that is um, guaranteed. Like it's always a crapshoot whenever you start posting on Instagram or any other means of marketing. So one thing that hit me recently is that I have put myself in this situation where being creative is not a choice anymore. It is an absolute necessity. And it is not a limitless resource. And when you I say
1: creative, you don't mean the the craft of the pot, the pottery or the I mean, at the, the
2: at the uh, this could be, this the, could marketing be in my head. Yeah. the marketing, but also the creating like I I am constantly coming out with new stuff. I have this I have this fear that if I don't keep coming out with new stuff and I don't keep making better stuff and I don't have new designs and I don't have new glazes and I don't have all these things that i've I've put myself in this overhead position where we need to sell a certain amount and i don't believe that i can sell as much as i need to without having new stuff on a monthly or quarterly basis so coming up with that new stuff doing the development takes time and money and mental energy and the creativity like i said and um I'm recently just coming to this realization that I don't know if this is a sustainable or like you said at all healthy way to be an artist. Like forcing creativity when it's not there is not very good. It's fucking terrible. Like uh sitting down at my computer to like work on a new design and being like, "Man, I don't want to fucking do this." And then yeah, having like, but it anyway is yeah, like, like, like oh,
1: $20,000 goal in mind for the month. And maybe you can see out a few months and be like, OK, I know we're good for the next month or two. Yeah. But like, you know,
2: yep. how does that? Oh, look? absolutely. I have I have safety nets. I have um, whatever you want to call it. I have I have money saved up, but um, having negative months is not a good feeling. Um, hmm. So. So, yeah, I've I've turned this into. I've turned this into a successful business as an artist, but I think the main thing that I want to get across here is that uh, I don't have, I don't get to take a break right now. Um, even if I did decide, like I need to take a month off, like I still have to pay the rent. I have to pay Greg. I have to pay Haley. Like it, I have to pay my mortgage. I have to pay all of that stuff. So it's like if I take a month or whatever time off to try to like um, build my creativity or my mental stamina backup that is just not um it's not an option
1: what's what skills do you feel like are most important when you're actually in the the kind of like people manager role and like managing the business with people Mm -hmm. under you whereas if you're doing it all hands on you're making the decisions you're not you don't have to worry about the tone in which you tell people certain things or i'm yeah yeah so it's actually
2: you're absolutely right there like managing people's personalities is exhausting i'm sure it's better for other people i don't think that i'm a great manager um so it is completely exhausting for me to do that but then honestly the the part that really kicks my ass is when i get to work and i have to come up with not only what i need to do for the day and plan out my own day i have to figure out what everyone else has to do for the day and yeah it just gets to this point where you're spending so much time not only managing personalities but trying to figure out how to trying to figure out what everyone needs to be doing on a daily basis it eats up so much of your day that then you're left not being able to do the things that you
1: need to do Mm -hmm. or having the energy to do the things that you need to do um because so you're like, losing money otherwise if you don't give them ample oh yeah work to do or if yeah. you, and you and, and each person has their own incentive structure right of like what do they like to do where are they most skilled at how do they yep. excel or you know yeah, and depending on
2: where the orders are um if if we were a real manufacturer, we had multiple Um, multiple clients coming to us and saying, we need this many pieces in this time frame. We'll give you these orders regularly, irregularly, whatever it is like, then we'd be managing the work that way. But the way that things worked the last two years really got stressful because we didn't have enough space or manpower or just my power, because I was still glazing everything to do everything all at once so it was like we would get these orders and we'd have to drop everything and have that order fulfilled in a certain amount of time so that would mean that as soon as that order comes in we stop making my work and start making this other work and then if they don't order more for multiple months in a row then we have to make tons of my work which is like like just switching gears between these things just got absolutely insane to me
1: yeah it sounds like high stress and then context switching just on a on a dime
2: yeah so in 2022 there was multiple gaps where we didn't get orders for months we didn't know when the next one was going to come so it was just i have to come up with new stuff of my own we have to make it at Matt, so like we would go two or three months without having a single sale of my work. And then all of a sudden we'd have three in a row and they'd be 500 pieces a month. And it was just um, So
1: you all were all hands on deck when the ashtray orders came in. It wasn't just two people dedicated to always doing those constantly and the rest of the business could keep flowing with your work. We tried to do that.
2: God damn it. I don't know what I could possibly get in trouble with for saying.
1: You don't have you don't have to, <laughs> yeah. No, no,
2: I'm just I I, I want to I really want to get this information out in a way that I'm not saying anything bad about them. It's just that with my business model and the size of my business, um, we had these two things: we had the wholesale orders from them, and we had my work. And yeah, there was just it was either feast or famine, and just trying to fill the gaps and keep everyone busy all the time based on what projects were um available what projects were being prioritized um it just uh,
1: you know they have deadlines you probably personally can set your deadline on the back burner even though you don't want to do that because oh yeah and that's it probably hurts your business only way
2: that i could run the business the only way that i could make this work was that every time they put in an order i had to completely deprioritize all of my own work like, put it on pause in my head, and then do all of the development and production for the next batch. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: And
2: it just, um,
1: yeah, it was... It was I could see, especially amazing. when... I can't
2: believe it fucking worked as well yeah. as
1: it did. It's shown in it the Yeah, when you said you had to do all the glazing yourself, like, yeah, you were very hands-on with every single piece. Yep. So... I mean, I'm sure there's some things that you didn't have to do in greenware state before, but I mean, you know, kiln load. I don't know. If, are you still loading all the kilns, loading and unloading all the kilns yourself, too?
2: No, uh, I mean, I loaded those ones because, like I said, I oh, glazed right. it right in front of the kiln and loaded it in. But yeah, um, I don't really I don't unload many kilns and I don't load bisque kilns. I load glaze kilns just because I'm the one glazing it and I have special spots for different things, even though the blow is crazy consistent. There's still a little bit of nuance of how I like to fire it. Um, so, yeah, but that's the other th- that's the other problem of scaling up and scaling down is ah, this is my work. I don't want to be a factory. Um, I just want some help around the studio. And we got to the point with that many employees where it was like it has to be run more like a factory because I am the bottleneck, like you said earlier. Um, there was just no way around it. Um,
1: so how right? did yeah. how did the because it, it, you know in the background you still have to have a thread of social media marketing and all that going on. Yeah, but there are certain things you can and can't show. So yep. how did that factor into That that was one of the hardest parts
2: of this entire thing is because I wasn't allowed to share the work that I was doing. And while we were doing the ashtrays, it was also I'm still working on another top secret project. But this one will never see the light of day. Um, It's so crazy. I can't even tell you what it is, Um, but it cut into the social media presence in a way that I, that was actually one problem that I didn't for, I didn't see. I didn't know it was coming. And then it got to this point where my Instagram stagnated really, really hard because my day-to-day work that I had been showing for years and years and years, there was two or three, sometimes five days a week where I was solely working on stuff that I couldn't share. So there was a cost associated with, doing those projects of lost marketing and lost social media time. And like I said, I didn't see that coming. And it it really hurt. I'm, I'm getting back to it. I'm getting back in the swing of um, doing things for years, I made um, three picture posts and two videos a week. And then as soon as this other stuff came along, that went down to like, maybe one reel a month. And um, and yeah, that's a
1: big a big business because I mean when that's driving most of your customers, scary. Base, I yeah,
3: I don't yeah, know if that's so driving go, the
1: entirety of it or if it's mostly repeat it customers, but absolutely. I mean it will slow yeah. that funnel that should be growing. Yeah, so the email list stopped
2: growing, the Instagram stopped growing, and it was just um, yeah, that was another layer of stress of like wow, I'm I'm sacrificing parts of my own business growth for this other opportunity that has no guarantee that it's going to keep going and um now we're there so trying to get back to um the way things were and get back in the headspace of making content regularly and all of the things and i'm out of practice for making content so that's tough and Mm -hmm.
1: yeah it's been a it's been a wild few years yeah i feel like when you have the when you have that to-do list in front of you and the create content is on there but it's like the bottom of the list and then the oh, yeah, energy that's fall off it's going to fall off and like you know I- i'm guessing you're the only one that's engaging and do- using the instagram account right there's nobody else oh, yeah, that that's, manages that. um,
2: that's the one thing that i could never imagine having anybody else do i think that. The second you hand off your social media to other people, it is a problem. It becomes so much less authentic. Um, I have a funny story about that, or an interesting story about that, because it's it's what made me realize this. And I don't mean anything. I mean he's got a he's got a crazy big company, but I was in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and I was eating at this restaurant, and I picked up the plate, and it was made by Jono, um Partolfini. Right. and i hope i'm saying that right jesus and i got on an instagram and took a picture and sent it to the instagram account and was like yo man i'm eating off your plates right now it's so awesome and i got this prepackaged corporate message back that was like we're so glad you like our products and i was like ah oh, that's a bummer <laughs> and that's what made me realize like jesus i can never let my company become that because it just uh oh, that was a bad feeling So, um, yeah, I'm the only one that does the social media. And just to be clear, like any of these things that I'm saying, I'm sure some people out there and they're like, you don't have to do it this way. You don't have to glaze all your work. You don't have to do the social media. I'm aware and I'm aware that I'm causing myself a lot of stress and extra work for these things. But, um, I have a very specific vision for my quote unquote company for my artistic practice and, um, Deviating from that in certain ways would not make me feel good about what I do anymore. It is a
1: big reason because social media is the,
3: the
1: you being the face of it. That's most people's entry point into your business. Yeah. And if you feel like that is filtered through other people, it's just not going to produce the yep. you know, that. That Same they with they when if, they get that piece if in the Other mail.
2: employees, if employees of the business did made pieces that we shipped out from start to finish, that would feel very weird as well and it's not something that I want to pursue. Plenty of other people do it. It's fine. It's just not for me.
1: Yeah. Okay. So how um So how do you it, do, is is also the the, the long term is that you're going to shrink down Back to, and maybe maybe it's three people, but you know, in the end, it's not, you're not growing huge. So, like, separating yourself further and further from it and like this big factory is just not, you know, that's not the goal. It's something,
2: it's something I have no interest in. Um, There's still some projects floating out there that might take me down that path again. They will have much better contracts if they do um, happen. But I have no idea um, if any of them will. Um, but yeah, I personally, at this point, I want to get back to a home studio detached from my house. It's going to be a it's going to be a big studio, uh, probably be about a thousand square feet. Um, uh, I don't I am not entirely sure when Greg will get bored and leave and go do something else. But I imagine that he won't be sticking with me forever. Um Uh, So, yeah, I just want to I just want to make pots and become an old man in the (laughs) studio and just, yeah, this uh, the, the pace that I'm working at now is not sustainable. It is getting me to my goals. But the idea of doing what I'm doing now past two years from now is terrifying. I don't think I can sustain it.
1: Do you. Do you have to think about what types of skills and instruction you give to employees so that is it like limiting what you give out so that it's not one person that's responsible for an entire thing so it's like lost education so you don't sink so much time into like training and then it becomes lost if they leave or how do you um, kind of think about that We're really not big enough
2: for that to be a problem Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I personally have to force myself to stay involved in because Greg does so much of it, Um, specifically like the shipping and the website. Like right now he's completely redoing our website and I have to stay involved just enough that like if he left, I'd still be able to manage it because he's been he's been dealing with the back end on the website for so long, um, making the listings for the sales, just organizing the, the navigation of the website. He's been doing all these things so much that uh, I don't, I'm not practiced with them anymore. But as far as other stuff in the studio, like whenever I make a new design and a new mold system, I'll cast it myself dozens of times first, just to make sure that I have um, the technique down and the most efficient way to get it done and without cracking and all the different aspects of that. So, and like I said, we're just too small for that to really be a problem. And that's one of my fears is I don't want to get to that point where losing an employee turns into a massive scramble to find someone to fill that void. Okay. That would, it's just, ugh, sounds terrible. I never wanted this to even be a real company
1: and here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Does the, um, so what are some of the, I'm thinking of some of the other things that people have for overhead that they maybe adjust and shrink. Like, like you make all your own glazes. So you're completely, you have a control of all of the materials. As long as the raw materials you can get, you can make your own glazes. You control that. You're not relying on like a commercial glaze or company and their supply and demand of like, do they have the material for me to produce the product I have? Or, you know, the slip you piled up on like slip and clay and stuff. So like Yeah, we don't mess around with running out of clay. That would be a
2: horror show and I I yeah, if we get below like a thousand pounds, I'm on the phone getting more clay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So are you consciously just thinking thinking ahead of like, okay, what what must haves do I need to control versus like do I need to outsource? Yeah. Like you know, Greg's managing the website, like you could have somebody do that or Somebody build it and then it's like, but you don't really, you know, who has the skill set? Yeah. Do? And see, this is um, this is the thing. And I think about
2: this. We, we've talked about this in the studio a lot. I think about this a lot is there's there's different ways to run a business. Mine is very lim- the way that I run. My business is very limited because we can't grow like to to run a growing business. You have to hire people, give them a job and like fully delegate that job to them. But I, maybe I'm a control freak. I don't know. I just, I don't want to get to that point. I love doing all the different steps. If I was just doing one tiny sliver of it, I would be bored out of my mind. So the fact that, um, yeah, that I still, yeah, I still make the glazes. I still make the designs. I make the molds. I make Greg and I split making the slip sometimes. Haley makes some glazes now, but I still make quite a few of them. Um, like actually mixing up the buckets of glaze, but I, yeah, I just, I never want to get to the point where I'm completely out of different aspects of it. So it's just going to be small and that's fine.
1: Yeah. How do you think about the pricing of work? Do you change prices based on, you know, like you got inflation happening, you got people that you have to hire based on what their cost of living is in that area so what people are um, willing to spend like how do you consider so my the way that i've done this
2: it's so funny the number one question i get asked on instagram is about pricing and it's like you guys don't understand like i haven't had to do that in seven years like once you have a baseline to work off of everything else kind of follows from there you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so when people are like i made this thing it took this much time i've never sold before how much should i charge i'm like i have no idea like I even when I come up with a new item, like the orbs that I make, I have no idea what to charge for those. Um, yeah,
1: I, I don't have any because some of the pro- some of the orb thing, like, did you commit to a price until you got it, got it all figured out and got a finished product? Because a lot of that. Oh yeah, that's one thing that
2: I do. So so if error. I show experimental pieces in my story, I get people that reach out and they're like, "I want that. How much is it?" And I'm like, "I have no idea." It's not it's not done yet, so how could I know how much it is? Um, I hate pricing just as much as everybody else does. I'm just glad that I have a baseline to work off of. The mugs, when I first started on Etsy seven years ago, they were 45 bucks a piece, and then over the years we've just raised prices in usually five dollar increments at a time. I have committed myself, kind of non. Yeah, I I don't think I've even like told Greg specifically about this, but I mean, my plan was to try to, um, roll through the inflation without raising prices and yeah, all the prices of our materials have risen, but we've also found efficiencies along the way. So I haven't risen, I haven't raised my prices, um, during COVID or during any kind of inflation. I have, however, released some special edition pieces. And most recently, we did some pre-orders that were a lot more work um, to make. So those went up for a higher price. Um, so yeah, I have a baseline price. And then there are things that go up from there based on how much work they are. And I guess
1: that's the best answer that I can yeah. give. Because I would guess some of the some of the 3D modeling and the iterations you have to go through to get... I don't know if that's just... a personal look and feel that you're going for or if it's a um quality durability thing Mm -hmm. that you have to like iterate through and figure out and that's part of the what took us you know all of this work to get here there's there's some of that i try to boil that into
2: just being like this r&d line item on the budget so um I mean, the orbs are more expensive, even though they're not exponentially more work because they're more of like a artsy piece. Like, I feel like with functional wear, there is this threshold of what you can reasonably charge unless you are an outlier. There are outliers and they make incredible things that are functional and have a higher price. But um, I think it's harder to raise the prices on those. But some of the more artsy one off things, um, the price can be a little different. Um Yeah man, pricing is a
1: crazy thing. <laughs> it, in like, like the simplification of the molds or the optimizing of the molds, I'm is part of the uh, saving okay, material so even, and
2: it it's not for, even that. I would say that like
0: What up Home Skillets. So um we're interrupting this time because we couldn't interrupt it at the time of the time. So I wanted to talk to you about the L and thermal couple guard because that's my favorite part of the the new kilns is that you know how like when you have a normal thermocouple it just like sticks out and it's just like out there all willy-nilly in front of God and everybody, you know? And it just has no protection at all. Well, on the new thermocouples in the LNL kilns They have a cool guard, and it's almost like a PVC pipe type thing, but it's ceramic, obviously. But it's kind of like a tube that surrounds the thermocouple, and what it's doing is that it's protecting it from any damage that might happen, so it'll get damaged before the thermocouple actually gets damaged. And also, what I think is really, really great is that none of the black, dusty stuff that happens to quite literally every thermocouple, whether you get it from one kiln company or the other, um, it degrades and it starts to, like, kind of crumble and fall, and that guard is actually going to catch all of those little black crumblies. And that, in my opinion, is the coolest thing about the new l because I haven't seen a thermocouple guard like that in any other kiln, and I just think that that's uh, so nice. Like, what's great about it is that, you know... You have to protect three thermocouples. You're not just, because there is zone control, you're not just protecting one thermocouple. You have to protect three. And that just kind of takes the worry out of it all. So you can go to hotkilns.com and see what I am talking about. And find all of the LNL awesomeness that you want. Uh, they have an fantastic website that has all of the things you need and also it has a great troubleshooting area as well I've used it many a times even for my kiln that's not LNL. so yeah let's get back to our regular program
2: yes okay so there's some optimizing there so the orb is a six-part mold but every part is exactly the same So it's one mother mold. I cast it six times in plaster. That gives me one full mold. But the materials to make that mold were way more expensive because it was so big. Like the 3D prints for the pieces were super expensive. The silicone was massively expensive. And then it's kind of the... the, Um, the expense of the R&D for that item is a lot higher per piece because I'm not going to make as many of them, if that makes sense. So, like, if it costs me $150 for materials to make a mug mold, but then I sell 1,000 of those mugs, then what, that's 15 cents for the R&D per mug. But then if the orb is $200 for the materials, and we only sell 50 of them over the lifetime, then the cost is way more. Honestly, I don't think about this. I don't write it down, I don't make spreadsheets. It's more of just this abstraction in my mind of, I know that this R&D time that I'm spending isn't going to lead to as much money. Um, If I was running this from a purely um, economical and efficient sense, I would only make coffee mugs. that's just (laughs) what I would do. Um, But I don't want to only make coffee mugs. And I'm hoping that once I get back to the home studio, that I will make fewer and fewer coffee mugs as time goes on and make some other things. I'd really love to make some really big pieces, get into some shows or something like that. But um, right now, with all the overhead that I have, Tracy not working and Levi being young, it's just, it's... It's got to be run more like a business than an art studio right now. Yeah, and that's just something that I'm come to terms with.
1: And I would suspect the uh, the standard of materials is pretty consistent with mugs, for instance, because you got the the same number of parts, the amount of clay slip is pretty consistent. The process of cleaning them up, I mean, the improvement of the molds has made the cleanup easier. Is that accurate? Yep. The improvement of the molds
2: and some of my most recent designs hide the flashing on hard edges. So we don't even have to take a knife to them anymore. It's just a sponge. Um, so yeah, so we found a lot of efficiencies along the way. I found efficiencies in how I, uh, coat a lot of my pieces in underglaze. I don't know how I've been interested to know how you've been doing it, but, um, I have this double, double spinning banding wheel system inside of my spray booth and I can spray a hundred pieces in an hour.
1: Yeah, mine's very inefficient. I I have an assistant and I pay her to paint it paint them on. So, oh, I saw somebody okay. recently that was dipping black and I was like, "Well, I think we could get to that point." So, maybe that's my next experiment is to to get a slip down to a good consistency that it's dippable, but I don't know that that's going to work on like mugs with handles and is it going to look clean and smooth and all that, but like bottles, I feel like we could dip those and that would look fairly consistent. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: But I mean, yeah, there's different there's different aspects like to it like that. Like I bought a pretty expensive spray booth and then building the ventilation system out the building was very expensive. But I've because we were spraying the Seth Rogen stuff as well. So I've probably sprayed 10,000 pieces since we got into the studio or more. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has been well worth the expense broken down over that number of pieces. That's kind of how I look at it is um, how many pieces is this investment going to work? Like, we fired so much work through that blouse that it is paid for itself so many times over. It's ridiculous.
1: Right. How did the um, bringing back old designs come about? Because I think you, you kind of shelved some things.
2: and then Yeah. You like, back,
1: like the bowls or a mug shape. Yeah. You
2: um, know... It's a it's a funny thing. I just get bored of stuff sometimes. (laughs) So, like, I'm just like, I don't want to make this anymore. Like the brain coral texture from last year. I'm like, this is I'm just not inspired by it anymore. It's not very interesting. That one in particular is going to come back for the holiday season. I have one glaze combo, the fire coral one from earlier this or late last year anyway on the the medium mug the tall mug the small planter the large planter this one glaze combo is going to be on all four brain coral designs and it'll come back just temporarily for a launch during the holidays um it's actually kind of exciting to get to the point where i have all these designs like i have all these mother molds on these shelves and if i do get inspired with a new glaze that i'm working on or an old glaze that i just miss um we can very quickly because of the systems that we have in place with the mother molds and other things as I can dive back into an old thing um, in an efficient way. Uh, But yeah, like I just get bored of stuff and I'm like, I don't (laughs) want to make this anymore. So we're not going to make this anymore.
1: See, I would think your form, like the bowl, you were just like, okay, we're just going to shelve the shallow bowl and like, we're done with that mold. But then you're like, did you, and you brought it back for, I was like, okay, maybe it's because he's trying to, You know get some more forms an assortment that's not just the mugs okay so so it was partly that but then the other
2: thing is with the volume of my work plus the work from seth we were running out of kiln firings like we were firing every single day and still not getting everything done And bowls take up, an especially those wide bowls. I can only put four on a shelf, but I can put 20 mugs. So I retired the bowls and the plates because we didn't have enough kiln firings to get them, like... Firing wide bowls and plates is the most inefficient kiln space imaginable. Right.
1: Because the
2: the dollar value, yeah, of what can fit in a clip. So the, the shelf the shelf stilts for bowls are a little bit shorter than mugs, but I can either put $2,000 worth of mugs on a single shelf height, or I can put $200 worth of bowls. It's Mm -hmm. a pretty stark difference. So bowls are great. Bowls and plates are great because um, you can have a kiln that has way less pieces. So it's way faster. It feels a lot better. Like it, I don't have to glaze a whole day to load a kiln if I have half bowls because it fills the kiln so quickly. But in that situation where, um, we were firing every single day and still falling behind on certain firings, whether it be oxidation, cone 10, reduction, cone 10 or cone six, um, we were having, it was, it was interesting to juggle all the different kiln firings, Make enough stuff for some that were light, and then get multiple firings for stuff that was heavy. Um, so yeah, the bowls and the plates kind of went to the wayside for a little while, just because um, it was not prudent as a business decision. Right.
1: So with that, it seems like that's a good, a good uh, formula for meeting that demand is to make more pieces of that fit. I mean. Part of it's like, I don't know how much cleanup you have on that mug versus the bowl or if it's just like the formula. Like
2: like I said, if we were going just after money, it would be all mugs all the time because bowls are just as much work as a mug and they do not sell for as much. And they take up way more kiln space. (laughs) (laughs) It's just um, but but like uh, I didn't enjoy I don't. I don't want to make decisions for my art based on the economics of it. I want to make whatever I'm inspired to make. But right now, at this moment in time, it has to shift because I have a family to provide for. I have a lot of overhead and limited sanity.
1: How how is the how did the pre-orders fit into that formula? Because I want to say back in the day, you used to do more... I want to say one-off but you used to do a more selective number of glazes and they would all be one-offs or maybe you'd have a couple of oh. the same and you so we have more of a pre-order built in now
2: we started three years ago about three three and a half years ago doing pre-orders because there were these large swaths of time like 95 percent of the month there was nothing on the website and it's one thing to have followers that want to buy stuff they can play the game they can um, mark their calendar at what time they need to get on to buy stuff. But when you're talking about boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, aunts, uncles, and someone in their life told them, hey, I want one of these guys mugs, they'd send me messages and be like, I'm not fucking waiting for this. Give me a mug. And I'm like, (laughs) it doesn't really work that way. And they just they're not acclimated to how this works online and they would just get pissed and then leave Mm -hmm. angry. And it's like that's money that we're just leaving on the table and we're pissing someone off. So we started doing the pre-orders as just a way to have work on the website um, at all times. And with the side benefit of, uh, as the launches got larger and larger, it just became so exhausting. Like doing a launch of 400 pieces every month means that I have to do a picture day of 1600 pieces. We have to do multiple full days of packing up orders. And it's just not spread out it's just it was just this huge batch process so um for example uh last year felt really good as far as diversification we had a third of our revenue was with the ashtrays a third of revenue was from numbered launches and a third of the revenue was from pre-orders and signature collection which is basically pre-orders but they're just on the website all year round um And that just felt good because it let me have smaller launches of the really one off high variety of glazes. It was also just insane to um, have 400 pieces. I mean, we're running into this right now. It's insane to have 400 pieces and not making more than two of any glaze combo.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) So I'm just that part.
1: Is that because you decide like which colors you're interested in? Because you're always testing different colors and stuff. You
2: no. Know, uh, yes. So every sale, um, Greg pulls the data from the previous sale. So we have we have a PDF, two PDFs from every sale we've had in the last two years, where one shows the number of views on items in the three, two or three days leading up to it, the preview we call it. He pulls the Google Analytics data to show us which items were the most popular in the preview then when the sale happens or the launch or whatever you want to call it he pulls the first 50 items to sell we take those two PDFs they're made in a way where the the 51st items is just a picture of each item that sold the first 50 in order so we can look at this PDF and see all 50 pieces that sold in order. And then the one with the Google Analytics data, it scales the size of the image based on how many views it got. So we can see what are the most popular items. So kind of use that analytics to cascade from month to month, where I know that um, the stuff that was popular in the preview and sold first, both of those conditions are met. There's a fair level of certainty that if I make more of that, it will also sell quickly. and then every single launch that we do has some number of brand new stuff, things that has never been launched before. There are some things that, man, I'm giving away a lot of the <laughs> behind the scenes secrets. This is hilarious. <laughs> uh, there, there's a I hope a lot of customers don't listen to this because this is definitely.
1: But gamified. I think that's a good way to use data to influence decisions. Yeah, it's a business. We
2: have, to, we have to use the data that's at our disposal to uh, make it so I don't go completely insane. Um, So there are a certain number of items that um, we knew were popular in the previous launch, so we bring those back. There's a certain number of items that are new experiments that are in the launch, and there's a certain number of items that I make almost every single launch, or a couple big batches a couple times a year, depending on um, the production method and stuff like that. So, um, but to have the most variety possible, I definitely, try to stick to this idea of like there's only two of the dragon's blood in the cube texture on the 16 ounce mug and yes i do the dragon's blood on other items as well but like the way that it plays out is we do have like 25 different glaze combos per month And I don't know why my brain can handle
1: that. But I mean, you
2: do tons of glazes as well.
1: Yeah, Um, I I, I do kind of I will use the the data from shows. That's where I get most of that information, because every time I do a checkout, I'll I do it by form and then I have a color per form so that I can look at quantity wise how many items of this form sold. And then I use the color. That's more just the restock as well as just in my head. If somebody asks or a wholesaler asks, like, which ones are most popular, I can tell them. Pretty easily. Yep. yep. Um how do you do the did you say in there how you decide what the pre-order will be coming up? Is that just the most oh, popular? Chaos. No, that's just like me
2: looking at new stuff. This most recent one, Cookie Monster, came up with this whole new motif of the underglaze with a translucent, like kind of faux Celadon oxidant oxidation mason-stained translucent on top. We did that in a bunch of different colors. I got a bunch of data that said that the Cookie Monster one was the most popular with the light blue and the dark blue and decided to go for that. It was actually between that one and the one that we have up now in the pre-orders for the new mug that we call Summer Melon. Um, I knew that I was gonna use one of those two glaze combos for the newest pre-order. And I just waited for the launch of the sale to determine which one was more popular. So it is kind of data-driven because I'm always putting those items in a launch or two or multiple before they become the pre-order, but it's still just a crapshoot. We have some that are insanely popular. The Dragon's Blood one blew it out of the water. I didn't even have to have a sale that month because we sold so many of those. But then the Cookie Monster one that I thought was gonna be super popular, it was decent, but it was nothing crazy. Okay. So, yeah, and then, the pre-orders are a little more chaotic. The signature collection is stuff that I know is popular. Like my cu- medium-sized, sixteen-ounce cube texture mug with my jade matte glaze on it is the single most popular
1: item that we sell. I'm so surprised because, um, like, I that's one of my least favorite of yours, your your color. But isn't that like, funny? Isn't yeah, that, it's, it's so interesting just so funny
2: how that works. Uh, my medium-sized smooth mug with the magenta fire glaze combo on it is probably the second most popular item that we sell. Yeah. And it's just a smooth mug. It doesn't have, I mean, it has my glaze kind of interest on it, but it, um, yeah, it's just not, it's interesting. Uh, uh, this is kind of anecdotal, but kind of interesting as well as we we have um, the Tracy's picks every month. She comes in and she picks her favorite and they go up at a premium. When I first started doing that program, it was called Potter's Picks and it was my picks. And no one cared. No one <laughs> liked the ones that I liked because I always liked them because they came out technically perfect or they came out. Um, uh, it was something that I had in my head. And when it came out looking just like I imagined it, I was like so happy with that. And then Tracy swoops in and she's like, no, these are the best. And I was like, well, three of those I wasn't even going to sell because they're so shitty. And she's (laughs) like, no, these are the best. And they're the ones that sell first. She has her finger on the pulse of my following in a way that's just
1: unbelievable. (laughs) And she does she know about the data of all the other popular images and all that? She comes in. She comes in on photo day. We put all the stuff out on the table for her. And she
2: meticulously goes through and just picks the ones that she that like speak to her. And it's great. And it works. And we've been doing that for like four years now. (laughs) Wow. But um, yeah. So um, are you taking
1: all the photos?
2: Yeah. uh, I have. uh, Yeah. So Haley helps. Um, She uh, she's amazing. She sets everything up puts the stickers on, wipes the bottoms, all of that kind of stuff. Um yeah, I don't know where it is now, but I I think I have about 57,000 pictures. Oh
0: my gosh.
2: In my Lightroom catalog from every picture I've ever taken for of my work.
0: <laughs> wow, wow. It's on know. a
2: it's on like a 4 terabyte backup drive under my desk.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. I would uh, like I get I get overwhelmed with just like, I'm sure I have really good content on my phone and I'm like, I need to, you know, get these down to like posting certain things. And I'm like, I'm sure I've taken really good videos and stuff. It's just putting it together, something that's going to be useful besides just like listing items and stuff. Oh, yeah.
2: So we have this insane workflow where, yeah, Haley and I do a photo day. We can take about 1200 pictures in about six hours And then I go home that night and I edit those 1,200 pictures in Adobe Lightroom. I export them at website size onto Dropbox. It auto-uploads to Dropbox, syncs on all of the computers that I have. And then Greg sits down and makes all of the listings on Shopify in about three or four hours for 400 pieces. Wow. It's gotten very efficient, but it's pretty crazy. I I really wish that I could s- get down to a position where I was doing a numbered launch of about two hundred pieces per month, and the rest would be supplemented with pre-orders. That would be really nice for my um, exhaustion levels.
3: Um,
1: but and do you, do you? Yeah. How come you haven't offloaded the photography at all? Is that just
2: your connection with it before it lunatic? Oh, I love photo day (laughs) photo day is when I actually get to see all the details every single piece up close. Um, It just it it solidifies that in my brain because like we were saying earlier, I don't unload all of my kilns anymore.
1: Even the glazed Um, ones. Okay, I was even the glazed ones. ones.
2: I used to. But there's just a lot of days where I'm like, I have to get other stuff done. Haley, will you unload the kiln? And Greg or Haley grinds the bottoms on the diamond core pads. Um, So there are some pieces that slip through the cracks and I genuinely do not see them until photo day. Um, But just like going through that whole exercise of photo day, it really is what drives home in my head like i remember glazing this one here's what the results are i'm never doing it again (laughs) or i am doing it again like just um so it's it just has to be part of the process um, to keep moving forward and keep making these decisions of like oh this one is really cool but i wish instead of teal it was more blue and then i make a note of that and then i start testing new glazes the next week um
1: and yeah, are there just, a lot of are there a so, lot of seconds that you set aside because the, the there's crawling or there's some yeah. issue that you just or the, yeah. the experiment just didn't turn out and you're uh, like okay we, we can't photograph oh this. yeah
2: and um yeah we my i'm very aware that my work is super expensive and because of that we have a very high level of quality and um yeah so we have seconds it's actually if i I know a lot of people online that listen to this will be upset about this but um we have big second shelves in the studio and if you come in person the seconds are very inexpensive and so
1: we've had people come in and buy like 20 of them in one go um people won't like that because you're discounting seconds significantly or they don't like that because they can't physically get there to get them from because they can't
2: physically (laughs) get there so we used to do second sales online and it just the whole thing sucked like having people pay shipping on seconds and like
1: i got one of your second all the seconds today
2: well i i appreciate (laughs) that but um so we have we have visitors come through like in the last in the last three weeks we've had visitors from um we had a visitor from finland we had a family from israel we have people like people come and visit colorado all the time for vacation and uh, a lot of them come by the studio and then once a year in the spring usually after christmas when i've messed up hundreds of pieces we do like i said okay so we used to do a, a online second sale we'd have to take all the pictures edit all the pictures make all the listings ship everything and then two years ago we did one in person and we have four, four, five hundred pieces out on the table and when we opened up the second sale we opened the front door of the studio there was about 80 people outside and we sold like 400 of those 500 pieces in an hour and a half. Yeah. And it just like that it was seems, insane. And it was like, OK, I'm not doing why spend all of that I'm energy not doing a whole day of pictures, a whole day of editing, two whole days of packaging. I'm just not doing it anymore. Plus, like as cl- as as clear as you can take pictures of seconds to show what the flaw is, some people would still get it in the mail and be like, this is unacceptable. And I'm like, it's a second. So when people come in person, they can look it over. They can decide with the full amount of information what they want. So I'm sorry to anyone out there that that upsets, but um, it works. But
1: how do do people reach out to you to visit? How does that happen?
2: Uh, Mostly through Instagram or email. Okay. Um, Yeah, so someone will message me. And say, hey, I'm going to be in Denver from Wednesday to Saturday. Is there a good time for me to stop by? And I say, hey, um, Thursday or Friday morning before 11 a.m. would be great. And they say, cool, I'll come Thursday at 9. And then I just pop it on my calendar. And then um, most people don't stay too long. Every now and then I'm like, hey, I got to get back to work. But um for the most part, it works well. Give them a tour, show them how we do everything, talk to them for a while, and then um, tell them about the second shelf, and they'll pour over that for a little while. Yeah. Um, if you do want to visit, there is no expectation to buy absolutely anything. We love to have visitors. I love to show people the place. Um, but yeah, that is an. Yeah,
1: it's a space. To, it's a space first. to be proud of because it's like uh, only you know four to five people enjoy it on a regular basis, and like there's yep. so much value that they've probably gotten from you oh
2: and it's great to see people look at your work in person like i because i don't do shows like you do it's weird to just not have anyone like people don't see my work until they open it and pull it out of a box and i'm not there to see that so there's just there's a certain level of excitement when people like go over to the second shelf and find something they really really like and they're like are you sure this is this cheap and i'm like yeah it's got that spot and they're like what spot and i'm like it's a."
1: they're like you're crazy i'm like it's fine just take give me i'm like you're fine (laughs) okay Okay, now i definitely need to hit up your studio i've still never seen your studio but i'll definitely hit that up when i'm in Denver sometime
2: (laughs) oh yeah man love to have you
1: awesome all right speaking of getting back to work we'll get you back to work here uh appreciate your time um yeah I'm trying to think of the th- the thread of like everything I wanted to cover and so, we covered it so quickly yeah. but like so, I really you know. hope that I
2: really hope that th- this was helpful for people. I want to kind of leave on the note of like you will have people in your life that think you should scale up um it is a very attractive thing to do, and you're like, yeah scaling up bigger means more money um but I really caution people to really think about what they want their art practice to be and what they don't want it to be. And especially if opportunities come your way that you really, really think through them. Um, I'm not going to speak ill of anyone, but um, yeah, certain, certain opportunities have not been as awesome as i expected a lot of that is due to my own um naivety i had no idea what the hell i was doing and then these super famous people come your way and tell you that they're going to change your life and uh it's very um it's very hard to say no to things like that um but also if anyone is in any of these positions where they um are being pressured to grow or they're Dealing with someone that has a lot of money and is asking them to do something, never hesitate to reach out to me. I'd love to talk through it with you. Um, scaling up is hard. There's a lot that goes into it. You're like, oh, we'll just we'll just get some more slip and we'll just get some more boards and we'll just get some more glaze materials. And it's like, there's so much more to it than that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I totally worry it's about wild. The, the storefront aspect or like getting a, like, like one almost like, hard line for me is I do not want to pay rent for anything. I pay for my mortgage and that's all I want to pay for. So I want to have every single thing I need here. I have control of it. I don't want to pay rent on some other space. I don't want to have to worry about the storefront aspect because that's going to take time and attention away from the practice that is already limited. And I'm like... As soon as you have rent, even
2: without having employees, as soon as you have a rent and... Sorry, my Siri kicked in the end. As soon as you have a rent, there is this thing where uh, the idea of taking a couple weeks off, you're like, well, I still have to pay. doesn't go away. don't get to take a vacation from paying my rent. So it's just the thing that, yeah, overhead is terrifying. And I caution anyone out there to just be absolutely sure they know what they're getting into before they sign some papers.
1: (laughs) Even like the, like there's a, there's a looming like big, you know, wholesale order, a big mug order. Like a, I wanted to do this brewery mug order and I'm like, what kind of work is going to be involved in doing that? What's it going to take away from the other things that I have planned already? I get it. It's this like really nice goal that I would love to be able to do to say I accomplished it and I did it. And like, here's the numbers I'm looking at if it were to pan out. But there's unknowns, and like what am I getting myself yeah. to do? You know.
2: And man, that what you said right there is just so it's so big of just like I I love to be able to say that I've done some of the things that I've done. It gives me a fair bit of pride to say that I made all these ashtrays. I worked with this company. I wish I could tell you about the other project that I'm doing because it's way more insane. But um, yeah, I just like I'm like, yeah. I'll do it just to say that I did and just to know that I can, but yeah, especially mm-hmm. for longer term things. It just,
1: and there's no roadmap. Yeah. There's no, there's no person that's telling you, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to accomplish it. It's like you're setting your own yeah. expectations. And, and also
2: and, in a lot of the things that I've done in the last two years, I don't even know who I could possibly reach out to for advice or guidance. Like, there's so few people doing some of these things that it's such a weird niche. Like, you could reach out to these giant manufacturers, but they're playing a different game. And then social media has just changed things in such a crazy way that, like, there's there haven't been people doing things quite the way that we are before five years ago or eight years ago or whatever. So it's just a, it's hard to find anyone that can give solid guidance in a lot of these situations. And then I'm
1: sure it's very contextual based on where you, where you live and what resources you have, like, you know, oh, yeah. supplies. I'm sure you have a supplier close by that you can get materials from that you don't have to. It's not a necessity that you have to drive four hours there and four hours back to get a certain supply or, yep, you know, something like that where.
2: Yeah. So all of that goes into play and it's just, yeah, um, I'm, that's not the part that I enjoy. It was a challenge and some of it was enjoyable at the time. But like I said, I just want to I just want to hang out, make pottery and not worry so much about everything all the time. Back, back to basics, That's back great. to basics. Yeah. Having um, having deadlines was an interesting thing. This is the last thing I'll say. Having deadlines was an interesting thing because I've always had self-imposed deadlines. Like if I'm doing development on a new mold system or a new glaze, If it doesn't work in the time frame I have in my head, I just push it back. Who cares?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: But when you're working with another company and they're like, here's an order, you have 60 days and then three weeks in, you run into a technical problem that you have to solve, it's like, oh, shit, like, I am so amazed that we never missed a single deadline because we ran into insane problems where Mm -hmm. on every single I, I a lot of this was my fault, but Um, Every single time we changed the color of the ashtrays, everything went crazy. Like, mason stains are supposed to be fairly non-reactive in glazes. Total bullshit. Every single one of them reacts differently. They have different (laughs) water-absorbing capacities. They have different densities. They just are different in the melt. They're different in everything. Uh So, like, there was times where I threw 100 of those ashtrays in a kiln. And woke up, came in the next day, and every single one of those little globs fell off onto my shelves on a hundred pieces. <sighs> it was unimaginable. And it was like, well, this is all due in four weeks. That's yeah, I'm, I'm
1: sure you coming to the realization that you need to bisque fire some of your things on, your glazes on first, or your you know the materials on so that it's nice and stable but, so it absorbs the right amount is yeah. like... You know, some of that you can't like, I don't see anybody bisking glazes on to glaze again. Like, I have to, I don't know that I've seen that as much yeah, as like, you sharing I'm that. i like,
2: because wow. when I first did it, it was like, well, this makes all the sense in the world. Why would I not do this? Right. <laughs> and then I get messages
1: and they're like, you, you can do that.
2: And I'm like, yeah, just try it. Just freaking try. Whatever or just like the,
1: do. or just dipping the bisque in water first and like. OK, you're changing the absorption in that area so it doesn't absorb as much. And then yeah. you get the whole thing. I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah, right. Hopefully we Gee, don't want it that. But it's like, OK, that's possible. Oh, you could do this.
2: Like, yeah, so we we had a bunch of those kind of crazy. Um, luckily, Greg is really good at stuff like that, too. So we have insane conversations about like, OK, let's break this down. Let's I mean, and he's great because he doesn't have the knowledge of pottery, So he comes at every problem of just like, okay, from a physics and chemistry standpoint, how do we fix this? And it's wonderful because we can step outside. I mean, and I don't have hardly any classical education in pottery, so I don't have this framework that I try to stay within. Um, It's just like, no, we have to make this work. How the hell do we do it?
1: Yeah, (laughs) and a lot of it is like try and see and like there's no there's no guide that just tells you this is going to work. And if you were to ask like, Matt Katz or something like he might have a different a different answer or he might say that shouldn't oh, yeah. work or you know so Matt
2: a- I love Matt Matt has helped me an absolute ton but Matt lives in a a little bit of a different world where he is um thinking of everything from a more of an engineering and chemistry standpoint and you're like no 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 I don't give a shit I just need it to work and he's like That's not a good idea, and I'm like, I don't care if it's not a good idea. It works, (laughs) so it's fine. It's just like, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, he's great.
1: He's helpful. (laughs) He's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to have those resources out there for sure too. Oh,
2: okay. So, goddamn, we just keep going. But unbelievable, like having having a lot of followers is Mm -hmm. one of the coolest things in the world. If you're willing to actually admit that you don't know what the hell you're doing and ask for help, I have. Um, fabricators that have helped me with 3D printing and CNCing, And I've had college professors help me with glaze problems and clay problems and mold-making problems. And, like, as long as you're, like, a little bit humble and also willing to share other knowledge, people are way more willing to share knowledge with you if you're free with your knowledge. But I would not at all be anywhere near where I am today if it wasn't for having access to some of the most intelligent and tal- talented people on the internet. It's fucking amazing.
1: Yeah. Plus on the other end of it, like it feels great to share something with somebody. Yeah. Like, I, like I had a show this weekend and I was talking to a Potter that was down, down the road from me. And she was like, very grateful for just this like 10 minute conversation. And we were just like talking to Etsy or something. They're like, is Etsy yeah. dead? Or do I like, do I keep going with the Shopify thing? Or like, how do, how do you make it work? And I just, you know, talk to him for like ten minutes of like my experience with it and like what what I found value in and they're like, you know, or the social media side of things. And yeah, you know, I mean it was really have, good to share that. We've both been
2: doing this for a while now and we both have this we're like bro, we're like halfway there to being like smart old men that like have answers to shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it'll be fun. I think it was one of the best things about leaving my job is I was like Man, if I stay at this job for 30 full years and then I leave, none of those skills are really valuable. I'm just going to do the same university job for 30 years. But now it's like I could be like an old man that knows a ton
1: of things about clay.
3: Hmm.
1: And there's no there's no like if you're working that job, you know, what would get you? into learning those other skills. Like, you would have to have an inherent interest in learning those other things. Oh, because yeah,
2: they're only paying me to do this tiny subset of things.
1: Yeah. You kind of do that out of necessity of, like, I have to figure this out because nobody else is going to teach me. Yeah. 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 So that's the great yeah, thing about the Yeah, it feels great. I love helping
2: people when people ask about Etsy, Shopify, Glaze's,
1: Clay's, 3D printers. Um and then, just and then following you get to push the of those, those technologies like the 3D printer. I'm sure you're like sending them issues and you're like this thing is messed up. Like what's going on here?
2: Oh, yeah. I have a guy that follows me that is like an organic chemist and he knows all of the stuff that's in those resins and how they react. And yeah, access to experts of every kind. It's kind of crazy.
1: All right. Kurt, I won't keep you any longer. Appreciate the time again <laughs> oh, for yeah, the man. third time. And I uh, think everybody will get a lot of value out of it. Find you at Hammerly Ceramics on Instagram, hammerlyceramics.com. That's it. All right. You got it. Let me know when I you're I feel like to I memorized that. I'll give you the outro, and then it's just like <laughs> onward. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everybody, right, right, for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Kurt. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Wheel Talk. This podcast is made possible through the contributions of all of our listeners who always ask us great questions, leave us reviews, and contact with us through social media. Thanks to all the fellow makers as well who take time to be interviewed and share about their lives and businesses.
0: And thank you to Ashley from Boldover Ceramics and Lindy from Lindy Garner Ceramics for their assistance on the Wheel Talk podcast Instagram. You are invaluable. Thank you to everybody.